Friends, as we continue a series of messages during these summer months that, that uh, take their theme from some famous hymns and gospel songs of the past, songs that when we come across them, we say, oh boy, we haven't heard that in the longest time. But when we hear them, for many of us who are older, have more miles on the odometer, it stirs up a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, wonderful, warm feelings and emotions. It takes us back to the time of perhaps a little church, a little chapel in the country, where uh, you sang those songs with gusto, you made a joyful noise, not always on key. Every church family growing up, I love to hear the voice of a church. Even as a little kid, I knew they were all different because we visited lots of churches. Some churches, the men were strong singers, and that church had a big bass portion of it. It was a big, fully rounded sound. I remember the first time I attended church at uh, the church, actually, I got married in, a little church in northern Alberta called Maleg Baptist Church, little town of Maleg. And that church, the grandmas seemed to take the lead. It had this sweet, high, squeaky sound to all of the hymns, and it just put a smile on my face to hear it. The men were singing, but the grandmas seemed to take the lead in that church. Every church is a little bit different, and we love those times of worshiping God together in community. But even when we're not with one another, if you've never had an opportunity to sing chorally, perhaps in a singing group or a choir, maybe that's not where your gifting lie. You know, you can at least sing along or appreciate or enjoy the music as we come together to make a joyful noise. It's a wonderful thing, and the Bible says that even by yourself, we are called to have a song in our hearts. We are called to have music on the inside of which only God can hear. Music in our hearts as worship to God. And that's found, of course, in our theme verse for our summer series. It's found there in Ephesians chapter 5. We are told, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Songs of praise and joy and thanksgiving. You know, there's a person in life, going through life with a smile on their face. That's a person we say of them, they have a song in their heart. But that should be true of all of God's children, shouldn't it? We've talked about some of these old songs. I believe that God moves the hearts of men and women to write worship music, good music, that people can find their voice and sing from their hearts in every generation. You know, I remember years ago, a friend of mine, Walter, he was the oldest man on our deacon's board in one of our previous churches. And he once told me over lunch that he believes the only music, and in heaven, he said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we will sing in four-part harmony. <laughs> which put a smile on my face because historically that's a relatively modern invention, believe it or not. And it's entirely a Western invention. Other cultures have even different musical scales and so forth. I said, really, four-part harmony? Yes. He said, you, like you, the old Wesley hymns, like my favorite hymns, Charles Wesley. Of course, four-part harmony, the Wesley hymns. I said, you know, the Wesleys, they didn't believe in four-part harmony, Walter. They said it was showy, it was of the flesh, it was of the devil, four-part harmony. Well, 
And I just told him, I'm just funning with you. You know, of course, music changes. The Wesleys did believe that, by the way. They thought that their hymns should basically be chanted very monotonally. Aren't you glad for things like four-part harmony and modern music? And just seeing the kids uh, reinvent uh, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, you know, that was interesting to me, and I had a lot of fun with that as well. Well, one of the songs, I'll be honest with you, I am an Okie. I am from the South. I cop to that. I plead guilty to it, though I carry only one passport, and that's a Canadian passport. I was born and raised in Oklahoma, and those churches sang loud and clear, but they sang a certain set of hymns, southern hymns. A lot of them are from the old revival tents and the sawdust trail type of music. Uh, and one of the songs that stuck with me as a kid, and I want to focus on this morning, is the teaching found in a hymn that really was more a Sunday school song. And it found its birth in youth group, youth meetings, not church itself. Of course, that hymn, as you know from our bulletin, is called, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. You know, it seems southern because they say yonder. It sounds like something Jed Clampett of the Beverly Hillbillies would say. Well, doggy, up yonder, you know, but Though we didn't actually say yonder as a kid, we all knew what it means as we do here. Interestingly, this song isn't written by a southerner. It was written by a man born in Pennsylvania and are born in New York and lived his adult life in Pennsylvania, or as we would call them, Yankees. He was a northerner, and yet he wrote this wonderful old song when the roll is called up yonder. The roll call of heaven is a strange concept. You can imagine somebody taking roll, reading out names. I don't know if classes do that anymore. I remember class roll call. The teacher would read through the roll call, and you'd say here, and they'd go on. You didn't want to miss out on that. That's how they knew you were present. Sometimes you'd answer, present. The roll call of heaven, though, isn't found in such a form. But there is precedent that the names of the redeemed the called out ones, the assembly, the church of Jesus Christ, God's first and only son, our names are recorded in heaven. We find that, we call that the Lamb's book of life, as recorded in Revelation chapter 20, the books were opened, the book of life. And then in Revelation 21, it's named, it's the Lamb's book of life. Those who have trust in Jesus as their savior, their names are in the book of life. But in Hebrews chapter 12, there's an interesting passage that speaks of our names being recorded in Scripture, or in heaven, rather. It's a passage that contrasts faith in the Old Testament that was centered around Mount Sinai and the law, which could only bring death. But for people of the Lamb, those of us, our center is something very different. The author of Hebrews says, But you've come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteousness, men made perfect. Isn't that amazing? As a follower of Jesus, your name is written in the roll call of heaven. You are there recorded in the assembly of saints. That passage and others were important as we come to the creation of this song. It was, it was written by a man named James Black, James Milton Black, born back in the mid-1800s. As I mentioned, he was born in, in New York, but 
As an adult, he lived in Pennsylvania. He was a Christian. He attended Methodist church. You know, Methodists met in chapels. They were called a, a chapel-based church. In his life, he used his musical gifts and abilities not only to uh, teach music. He was a music teacher by trade. But James Black also was a worship leader in his church. But that's not where his ministry ended. He had a particular love and burden for children. So he worked not only as a worship leader, he worked as a Sunday school teacher, and then during the week, he ran the youth group in his church and in his small town. He loved kids. He loved them from little all the way through the teen years as they were making important, important decisions in their lives. It was in one of those Sunday school classes, like that old picture you see there, that James Black, on a weekday night, it said that he'd finished uh, youth and he was walking home and God led him to walk through the poorer part of town. And it was going down what we would call today an alley, though some people's doors, poor people's dwellings, open into the alley. And he came across a girl dressed basically in rags. And she could tell she was a teenager. In fact, though she hadn't eaten well and she was small for her age, she was already 14 years old. And he asked her about her family and where she was at. And she, her mother had died and her father was a terrible alcoholic. They had very little, very little to eat. And so he invited her home to meet his wife and they helped to feed her. And eventually she began to attend the youth group. And they had a special place in their hearts for this girl who seemed to have so little otherwise. The song came about because one youth group used to take attendance. It was a big crowd of teenagers. And he would shout out their names and in attendance they would answer by saying a Bible verse they'd memorized. And he got to this girl who had that special place in he and his wife's heart. And he shouts out her name and there's nothing. And he said later the silence weighed so heavy on him he didn't know why it, it hurt him not to hear her voice or saying a scripture verse, and he began to look. She wasn't there at all. So after the youth group meeting, he walked down that same alley and knocked on the door, and her father answered, and he could tell even he was worried. She was in bed sick. She had pneumonia. This is 1893, before antibiotics. Pneumonia was so often fatal in those days. As bad as it is now, it was so much worse in those days. He went to his own doctor and paid him to come to that house and take that girl into care and do everything that medicine at that time could do for her. And then he went home. And he thought, he said, I've got to talk to the kids next week about about not answering God's call. And if a roll call was taken in heaven, would you be there? Is your name written in the book of life? And so... One of the things he also did, music teacher, minister in the church, he, he also edited hymnals. So he had a, a lot of hymn books around. And he began to go through them looking for that special song about a roll call in heaven. There was none. And he says, as if God's Spirit spoke to him and said, you need to write one. He said he sat down at the piano because he played piano beautifully. He taught it. And in 15 minutes, he had the first verse of what became when the roll is called up yonder. And he said, as I wrote the words for the three verses, I played the music. I wrote the music down, and I never changed a note. Unfortunately, the first time the song 
was played in public was at the little girl's funeral. That song kind of languished. It was a Sunday school song. It was maybe a youth group or a camp song. Remember camp songs when we were kids? It only takes a spark to get a fire going, you know. They have a certain place, but they don't really go out into the broader world. But that song hung around and it hung around. The next slide shows two men, one standing, one seating. These men, at the turn of the century, they were some of the most well-known men in the world. Standing up there on the left end of the picture is Dwight Moody, the great revival preacher. And as important as Dwight Moody and the Word of God was in his meetings, he was the Billy Sunday, the Billy Graham of his era, equally important and blazing a trail for all these other evangelists he had a special music leader, Ira Sankey. Just as Billy Graham, we all know his music leader, George Beverly Shea, Billy Sunday had his playing the trombone. They all had a music leader who, who set the tone and prepared the hearts for the Word of God to plant the seed. Ira Sankey somehow found when the role is called up yonder. And once they began to use it, the song became known internationally. In fact, by 1941, it was used as an important part of the music in the movie Sergeant York, that movie starring Gary Cooper to lift the morale of the people during the Second World War. Of course, look back at the life of Alvin York, a Christian who became the most decorated hero for America in the First World War. Well, you think it would end there, but late in the war, 1944... Winston Churchill was being quizzed about an upcoming meeting, a secret meeting that was an open secret. Everybody knew that it was time for President Roosevelt, Joseph Stalin, and Winston Churchill, the big three. They had one of their meetings to come up, basically how we were going to end the war and divide up the world. And the British press is pressing Churchill, who can't give any details. And they say, Mr. Prime Minister, when is the meeting going to take place? What's the day? What's the hour? When's the meeting going to take place? Where's it going to be? And Churchill famously said, the day and the hour I know not. But be assured, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. <laughs> the British press didn't know what he was talking about. They only later found out he was quoting, he was quoting, James Black's hymn, when the roll is called up yonder. As we open our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, we know that as the Olivet Discourse, Jesus speaking of the signs that would precede his return when he was questioning, Lord, when will you come back? When will you return? On the Mount of Olives, there near the end of his public ministry. One of the first things we see in Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives is a theme that is picked up in James Black's song when the roll is called. And that is that the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. The trumpet call of God. The cry, the voice of the archangel. We know these as those extraordinary initiatory sounds of the return of Christ. To read the first verse of when the roll is called up yonder, it's on the screen. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, 
and the morning breaks eternal, bright, and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. What a beautiful thought, what a beautiful image, what an amazing sound that will be, but it is all taken from Scripture. When Jesus speaks of his return, when the apostles write of the return of Christ, we always hear the clarion call of the trumpet. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound. Again, early in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus has just been speaking of the signs of his return. We know them very well. He says there will be nation rising against nation. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be phony Christ. There's going to be terrible persecution. There's going to be terrible apostasy. He said all of these are like the birth pangs before the birth of a child. You know it's coming, but you don't know when. And Jesus then sums it up, beginning in verse 30 of chapter 24. He says, at that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Jesus referencing uh, passages from the book of Daniel. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Jesus says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know the summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. When these things happen, when you see these signs, a generation will not pass away. Many people believe we're part of that generation now. We know it's at the door. We need to live in expectation of the trumpet call of God. The verse also speaks of the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And you often think, well, why do we speak of death in those terms? Crossing the river, the other shore. Well, of course, that comes from the book of Joshua. That is entering into the promised land, entering into God's rest. The book of Hebrews talks about heaven as God's rest, the Sabbath rest, the promised land. And the only way to get there is to go through the River Jordan at flood tide. Remember, the people stood opposite not only of Jericho, which struck fear into them, but they saw the Jordan River at the worst time of years where you couldn't cross it. It was at flood tide. But God brought them safely across on dry ground. And that's the picture of we Christians going home to be with the Lord. The old hymn summed it up so well. The river Jordan is muddy and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. Crossing to the other side, the promised land. What a beautiful picture James Black paints of the homegoing of people at the end of their lives and the end of these days. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound. When I sing that song, it tells me it's close. Be ready. Keep one eye on the sky. Keep your ears tuned to the trumpet call of God. Don't live as if it will never happen. He follows up the first verse with one that focuses on the resurrection of the dead. 
those who lie in the graves today, people who died in faith. We know the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians that if they're absent from the body, they're home with the Lord and that He has a heavenly dwelling place for them, but their earthly bodies are not forgotten no matter what state they're in. God will resurrect them. And body and soul, a glorified change will happen to the earthly body and there will be a great reunion of body and soul Christians and Christians all together home with the Lord. The resurrection of the dead. Verse 2 of when the roll is called reads, On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of His resurrection share. When His chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. (laughs) That bright and cloudless morning when the last clouds will pass away We're home to be with the Lord. The beautiful pictures in Scripture, they encourage our hearts, especially in the face of death as you walk through the valley of the shadow. Paul writes in the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51. He says, in comparison, he's earlier told them, he says, our bodies are mortal. They're guaranteed to die. As soon as we're born, we begin to age. We grow old. We wear out. We die. And the mortal flesh in which we live cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It must be changed. We must trade in that which is mortal for that which is imperishable as God does His glorious work. Paul sums it up by saying in verse 51, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He says we're not all going to sleep. Sleep is the Christian euphemism for death. As you sleep, you appear dead, you appear lifeless, but you're resting and you're not hurt. It's good for you. Well, a Christian, death can't hurt us. It can't touch us. We appear lifeless, but we're not at all. He says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. We will all be changed. At the trumpet call, the dead will rise. That's one of the wonderful passages that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. Remember, as he, in the book of Acts, is going through Thessalonica, he has a wonderful response to the good news. Many people accept Christ, but then almost immediately, the apostle Paul is driven from their midst. He's only there for a couple weeks. And so he's writing First and Second Thessalonians back to a church to make sure they're doing good and to share with them those things that he didn't have time in his brief visit to share with them. He had obviously taught them about the return of Jesus. They were all looking forward to it. And yet, in this interim time, some of the early church family in Thessalonica had died. They had gone to sleep in the Lord. They had passed away. And the people were heartbroken that their brothers and sisters would miss the return of Jesus. So lovingly, the Apostle Paul writes in that first letter to the Thessalonians to encourage them, they will in no way miss the return of Christ. In fact... They go first. We come after them. They are in the return of Christ front and center. 
The Apostle Paul writes, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. He says, encourage each other with these words. The valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you're with us. Your rod, your staff, they comfort us. And we know that the dead in Christ will rise first. What a precious encouragement. The resurrection of the dead. The trumpet call of God. Our response. When we dip into eschatology, the study of future things, mysteries unveiled, revelations revealed, it's very easy for us to get caught up into it and make it our pastime. Make it our passion. Make it our hobby. May it never be a hobby for us. May it be a motivator for us to drive us ahead in what God wants for our lives because we know not only are our lives but time on this earth is limited. The response in the song as well as in our lives should be this, pressing on toward the goal. Have you ever watched a race in the Olympics where they draw near to the finish line? Do they slow down? Do they let up? Well, if they do, they generally get past. They have to drive and lean into it and do their best to reach the goal. Well, Scripture says in the same way that that's how we should live our lives. It's reflected in the third and final verse of when the roll is called up yonder as we read, Let us labor for the Master. From the dawn till setting sun, let us talk of all of His wondrous love and care. And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Isn't that interesting? That a song that's focused on the return of Jesus, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ rising, then changes to hard work and labor from dawn till dusk and then finally rest. Well, that's the picture of our lives. As long as we draw breath, we are to work for the Master. We are His people. We are His plan A for reaching the world with the good news of the Gospel. He gave us the good news to share. There was no plan B. Philippians chapter 3. Paul speaks of pressing on. Even late in his life, he wanted to press for the finish line. He tells the church in Philippi, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. They all looked at Paul and said, You've arrived, Paul. You've arrived. You're like a super Christian. Paul says, No, I'm still on the way. I'm still working for the Master. I'm still growing. I'm still pressing on toward Jesus to be more like him. He says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, does that sound like Paul's planning on taking a day off? It's put in his time. So many imprisonments, shipwrecks, 
beaten for the faith, persecution, stoned to death. Time to settle down and take it easy. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the fatal temptations that we seniors face in life. And one of them was spiritual retirement. We don't see that in Scripture. We see pressing on heavenward. Oh, what we're able to do, it changes our opportunities. But we never give in. We never give up. We press on to the goal. Jesus is waiting at that finish line for us. When the trumpet call sounds, it means we're coming home. When the river Jordan hoves into sight, it means we're almost there. No spiritual retirement. Again, from the 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, we read just a little bit further down in chapter 15. Right at the end of the chapter, how does Paul sum it up? He's just talked about the return of Jesus, twinkling of an eye, resurrection, all of that. And Paul sums it up by saying, therefore, which means following on all of that, he says, therefore, with all of this in mind, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You must have felt that way sometime as Paul languished between chain between Roman soldiers in a prison cell waiting for a date with the crazy Roman emperor Nero and the headsman's axe. Might have seemed to be in vain, but he knew it wasn't. He'd had that glimpse of glory. He'd seen heaven with his own eyes. And he knew that everything you do for the Lord in this life, it's all noticed. It's appreciated by Christ. And one day, it's rewarded. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not in vain. It's coming. And finally, we finish. A wonderful, calm exhortation from Paul to the young preacher out on Crete, Titus. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And this present age is a dark age. To live a godly light, letting the light of Jesus shine in this dark age, this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a life lived in hope. No matter what we face, sunshine or shadow, good times or hard times, we make it through because our ears are tuned for the trumpet. We have one eye on the sky and we live in the blessed hope that Jesus hasn't forgotten us, that our labor isn't in vain and that the Lord is at the door and He's coming back. And in no way will we miss the return of Jesus. We will either be left behind or the dead in Christ shall rise. We'll all be there on that great and glorious day. It should encourage us. It should motivate us. It should drive us on.
We're going to finish the service a little bit different this week because it was the music was VBS music. What we're going to do, what we're going to do, I'm going to close our time in prayer. And then as I step down, I'll invite you to all to stand and close the service by singing when the roll is called up yonder. The words will be on the, uh, on the screen and we'll sing along with the recorded music. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we think back to the origins of this song. A man and his wife, their hearts were broken. That a young girl was absent from among the youth group. She was no longer there. But Lord, they took solace in the fact that her name was written in the Lamb's book of life. That she had put her faith in Jesus. And when the roll is called in heaven, her name is there. Written in the assembly of God's saints. Father, may we too have the assurance of faith that our name is written indelibly in the blood of Jesus in the book of life. And that one day, Lord, when we hear the trumpet sound, that is our call. That is our call home. Until then, Lord, let us work. And we know your work, Father, is to love, to love God with all of our hearts, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to tell people the wonderful good news of Jesus' love. Lord, may we work for the Master till the setting of our life's sun. We pray all of this in Jesus' loving name. Amen. Stand now with me and let's close our time together. We'll be dismissed immediately following. When the song finishes, the service is done. Amen. God bless. Turn.